0: This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The
1: Car guys report informed automotive is up next, but first take a listen to this other fine OPI show. I'm Howard Sudbury. On the next Back to You by partner Steve Baskerville tells us about a fascinating neighborhood character from his youth, the legend of the broom man. And we will complain. Although we have very little to complain about, but it's what we do, so we'll whine about common neighborhood routines. That's back to you, an Opie show on the Radio
0: Misfits Podcast Network. Back to you with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to you, an Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead; it just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com. Following is a Tony
1: Lasano podcast and OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable. And, you know, Lou, uh, one of the things that uh, we like to talk about here on the Car Guys Report at the beginning, we always have to uh, like to have a little bit of chit-chat about what's going on in our car world. And the last episode, we um, finished up my Fiat saga of dripping coolant, which has been completely rectified and everything is fine and dandy, but... Dun dun dun. A couple of weeks ago, I had another coolant issue with a different car. Can you guess which car and which coolant issue I had?
0: All right. Well, uh, give me selections. Give me, give me. I know we've got the 58 Impala.
1: This car has automatic climate control on it, and it is one of my collector cars. So that narrows the field considerably because the uh, Saab doesn't have automatic climate control, neither does the impala
0: well that would be the porsche then so
1: it could be no it's not the porsche it's the corvette oh really yeah what i happened it was a beautiful spring day and i was uh, just uh, taking the car out for a spin and um in the course of of driving um you know when a heater core goes out you start getting fog on your windshield yeah. or your windows and that, well this, and that smell. this, this to, yeah that smell exactly uh thanks to leonard skinnard and the song that smell um it took one level more because i've had i think maybe one or two heater cores fail on me in, in other cars i remember one of my Saab 900s had a heater core go out but literally and i don't know if this is a function of the automatic climate control just because of the way it routes the air differently or something but there's just literally steam pouring out of the center vents in the Corvette. I mean literally visible steam as you're driving. It was just unbelievable. I mean it looked like if someone didn't know what it was, they think it'd be smoke or something and obviously it wasn't, but so I felt kind of like a dork when I'm driving around because, you know, I pull up to the to a stop sign, I've got my window down a little bit and you can see all this steam flying out of the center console or the center vents on the dashboard. It was just insane. So, um yeah, so the heater core failed on that car. It's already fixed, but as you know, I don't know if you've ever done a heater core, or you know what is involved, but it's like, as as my friend Bill, who's been a guest on this program, said, you have to be a contortionist to to do that. And I said, yeah, there's no way I'm doing it that myself because it's always buried inside the dashboard. And there's like three things on cars or at least two things on cars that I will never attempt to do myself. Any kind of exhaust work, because it's, f- it's just vile, dirty, rusty, uh, wrist uh, knuckle scraping just terrible work. Exhaust work and then rooting around in the dashboard I hate because sometimes when you're back there you'll invariably hit something with your hand or something you'll cause three more problems and then while you're fixing the one problem you went in there to fix and in the modern car it's even worse. I mean a car like the 58 Impala if you were to do the heater core on that it probably wouldn't be too bad but the Corvette everything's jammed inside there so I've been like I'll take it to the professionals and let them do it so that's done. I've got the Corvette it back i really haven't driven it since i got it back but uh it seems fine so it's just one of those things that goes out with age 28 years old so that's done and uh, lou i wanted to uh just uh we can toot our own horn here a little bit uh i wanted to uh say that You know, a lot of people listen to us on the various platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google, Stitcher. This comes from Spotify. Uh, A few weeks ago, the Car Guys Report informed automotive made it into the top 100 of listeners in Luxembourg. And Luxembourg, as you know, is a very, very small European country, about 600,000 people, I believe, was the stat that I found. So thank you so much for uh, listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive in Luxembourg. And um, that just shows the international reach of our program, Lou. How's that make you feel?
0: I'd like to thank the people in Luxembourg. They've always been, uh, you know, great fans for us, and uh, we're going to try to expand that into other areas as well.
1: <laughs> thank you. That sounds good. Yes, but it was it just it, it just amazed me. And also, we have um, got a got something uh, in the email box too uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago. Wanted to bring this one up. Uh, listener well, what Michael is,
0: what, is, what is that? What email The email, box. it's uh,
1: carguysreport at hotmail.com. That's our email address. And Michael uh, wrote to us at uh, carguysreport at hotmail.com. And uh, I'll just read his, uh, his letter here verbatim and then I'll, I'll let you know how I've responded back to him. He says, gentlemen, love the show. I'm a car guy to some extent. For a while, while Mary with a young son, 1995 to 2001, our daily driver was a 65 Skylark, but the best car I owned was a 68 Impala hardtop I picked up for 200 bucks. Not the prettiest girl at the dance, but boy, can she run with her 307 and two-speed power glide. Boy, I miss her. Uh, I cannot figure out, and then, okay, so that's his background, and then here's here's his, his knit-to-pick, so to speak, and uh, I, I may, made fun of Tony Lasano, our our producer extraordinaire, made a little bit of fun of him when I uh, responded back to Michael. Here, I said, "Michael says I cannot figure out why the engine is trying to start in the intro piece of your show. Uh, when you listen to our podcast, you'll hear this uh, sound effect of an engine starting." And I said. Well, that's because our producer, Tony Lozano, isn't a car guy, <laughs> so he has no idea. And I guess we're, we're guilty too, Luke, because maybe we should have thought of that, that hey, we need a better engine sound. So Michael suggests that it would be pretty cool if you changed it up a bit, featuring different distinctive engines starting. I bet you'll hear uh, each one of these in your head, a Chevy 350, a Ford 351, or a late 70s Chrysler 318 with lean burn. So Michael, thanks so much for uh, emailing us here at the Car Guys Report. And as I told uh, Michael in my response, I said we'll take it under advisement. I said maybe Lou will be able to dig up some stuff because you're always recording engine sounds on your uh, on your uh, my car story with Lou YouTube channel. You know, uh, and and for crying out loud, I got a V twelve uh, Aston Martin too. That would make some good sounds. But uh, anytime we can uh, make fun of uh, Tony a little bit, we'll uh, we'll definitely. Uh, make fun of him at, at his expense but uh, no Tony we love you you do a great job of course and uh, Michael thanks so much for uh, listening being a loyal listener to the Car Guys Report that's the kind of stuff Lou that keeps us going here Luxembourg Michael things like that that's what makes uh, the Car Guys Report worth every second of our time that we put into it be sure to tell your friends about the Car Guy Report you can find us online at radiomisfits.com follow us at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter and the The best way to reach us, of course, is our email address, carguysreport at hotmail.com. Now, Lou, I'm going to blame you for this uh, next topic because you had brought this up to me a while back uh, about the new Cadillac Escalade. And we have talked about a little bit of these, uh, the preponderance of of digital screens in cars getting larger and larger as uh, technology advances, and they have now what is called OLEDs, which is a uh, acronym for uh, a new kind of LED technology. And I'll just read this verbatim. This is from the uh, uh, Car and Driver. They did a um, they did a, a, a little blurb on it, and then I have a bigger explanation of what's happening with the new um, Escalade compared with LCDs, which is li- liquid crystal display OLED screens draw less power and offer a more natural color range with the ability to display a true black and I guess that's important because I guess with glare and and other kind of ambient lighting if you can get what would be considered to be a true or pure black that's something that that you want so far the technology has made it into production info screens only as an option in the Audi e-tron which is the Audi fully electric uh, vehicle but Cadillac will be changing that the 2021 escalade will come standard now here we go again lou a 38 inch diagonal oled dashboard which has got to be the largest digital display dashboard and it's basically one piece a lot of cars like the mercedes e-class has a digital uh instrument cluster and then to the right of it it's got a 12 inch you know like nav screen and and multimedia thing but they're not actually connected The, the The one in the in the um, Escalade is basically kind of integrated all into one, 38 inches wide, and they're saying here that, excuse me, the um, the way they divide the 38 inches of the OLED display in the Escalade is. Uh, they're they starting from the far left. They have a small 7.2-inch driver control touchscreen, centered behind the steering wheel. Is a 14.2-inch cluster display screen. Then to the right of that is a 16.9-inch infotainment touchscreen, also manipulated by a rotary controller. So you've got three distinct. Uh, screens, but they're all kind of integrated together the way they they design the dashboard. It's got like one giant like binnacle cover over it, so it's not divided up like some that you see. And it says, the broad horizontal format and high placement of these three screens on the dash keeps the driver's attention up closer to the windshield and the bright, high-contrast OLED technology, there we go, that pure black again, means no sunshades are needed. The thin film technology allows a leather-wrapped binnacle, which is the term I use, I like that word, with a black-lit Cadillac crest on the back that's visible through the windshield, which is pretty cool. So you can see the Cadillac crest on the back of this thing if you look at the car from the front. But... um It's just got all kinds of cool stuff. They said the blackest black OLED pixels generate their own light, whereas most other current TV display screens employ a liquid crystal to generate color, while an LED position behind it generates the light. So LCDs can block light pretty effectively, but the light source behind them tends to bleed through a bit, and that's the advantage of the OLED because it's generating its own light source. And it says, too, that because of the way the technology is, they're not uh, constrained to any kind of... uh, for, what they call form factor, meaning it has to be a rectangular, it has to be square, it can just be oval, it can be any kind of shape they want, which actually helps a lot with uh, making a very cool-looking dashboard. And now this is the one thing we have talked about, too, again, on the uh, podcast, Lou. You and I have discussed this, saying, you know, how reliable are these uh, displays? How long-lived are they? Are they going to be able to be reliable and to be something that will last the life of the car? And they said for, um, And they said automakers have been hesitant to adopt OLED screens, given the technology is relatively new and longevity is a concern. For instance, early OLEDs have shown a tendency for the colors to dim over time. But Craig Zinzer, director of Cadillac's infotainment division, says his team found ways to lengthen the life of its OLEDs. He estimates they last at least 15 years. But to me, okay, so they last 15 years. What are you going to do if you still own this car, or you're the second or third owner of it as a used vehicle, and this entire 38 inch OLED uh, digital dashboard goes out? I mean, that's to me is still the the rub. I mean, a gauge is a gauge, you know, a mechanical gauge or even an electronic gauge with an analog, you know, a pointer on it. I mean, when's the last time you've had one of those fail? I mean, I can't even think of a, that I've ever had an actual mechanical or analog gauge you know fail on me but the digital stuff 15 years and you're talking about a vehicle that that is going to retail upwards up to a hundred thousand dollars you know upper mid to upper 80s to start probably i mean what are your thoughts on that lou
0: well a couple of thoughts one is you know par- parts on cars and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple of things that parts on cars that kind of drive me nuts is the uh the headlights of cars, how they start to get that waxy film uh, from being out in the sun. Oh,
1: yeah, the the discoloration, and everyone has a, a headlight cleaning kit now that you can buy.
0: It, it, it seems like that headlight cleaning kit, I, 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 I have to say, I've never used one.
1: Nor from have I. What I
0: hear, but what I hear is that they haven't, you know, they don't seem to last halfway as good a, as they can. So, kind of like with this LED thing. If all of a sudden your gauges, and I agree with you, I've never had a mechanical gauge not stop working, um, you know, goes out, uh, the challenge with the 38-inch screen is, well, you can't even maybe drive the car.
1: Exactly, yeah. You would literally be in the dark, (laughs) you know. You wouldn't know what's going on at all. Yeah, that you're right about that. That's a very, very uh, important point because they're putting so much information on these things, and so much of the of the computer goes through the dashboard, and it's all touch screens and things like that. Yeah, you're going to really be screwed if something like that happens. And the I worst mean. thing too is, is it's probably not going to fail all at once. It's probably going to have stuff that starts failing here and there. Like, oh, well, the only this part of the of the you know multimedia works, but this one does. And that can be as frustrating or more frustrating than if it's just the whole thing crapped out all at once.
0: Well, when it all craps out at once, okay, so how much gas do you have in the car? I mean, driving is probably not too bad because you can almost kind of keep speed with other people. But all of a sudden, if, you know, you don't know how much gas is in the car, you you don't, you know, you don't know, you know, and and I guess you could start to regulate that as well. But, uh, no, it, it, uh, you know, heater controls and things like that, or air conditioning controls, all seem to be more and more uh, up on the, the touch screens to, to, to move things, and they're starting to do less and less buttons uh, that you can touch. That, that it, uh, there's still a good blend of touch on an actual button that matches some of the stuff on the screen, but, you know, now it's all on the screen and there's no touch buttons. They're trying to make it look seamless. Exactly, you know, and that's that's been one of my
1: that's been one of my yeah. pet peeves is the fact that I always think that there should be at least redundancy, if not triple redundancy, because like when I bought my first, I'll say modern car, when I bought my my uh, Infiniti G thirty seven, that was the first car that I owned that had a a touchscreen navigation system in it didn't even have a lot of multimedia controls on there, but it had the touchscreen navigation, and it had some of the, I think it had some of the heater um, HVAC stuff in there. And I was saying, like, well, it's good that they have, you know, you can do it by touchscreen, you can do it by button, or you can do it by something on the steering wheel. But a lot of the manufacturers have gotten pushback. I know Honda, a couple years ago, eliminated a volume button, a volume knob on their radio, and people hated it, and they brought it back. I mean, even if it's something as simple as that, give us some kind of tactile actual function with a, something that you can switch or, or, or push or rotate or something instead of just always touching a screen like we do on our smartphones. I think that's where, to me, some of the manufacturers get overly enthused and, oh, we have to do everything because people love their smartphones and we have to you know, have the experience just like that. But it doesn't translate to, to me, it doesn't translate to an automotive environment. And I want to see redundancy. I want to see at least, a, you know, a switch, if not something, a switch and something on the steering wheel, too, perhaps. And they're putting so much stuff on steering wheels these days, too. It's kind of getting scary. It almost gets away from, you know, the, the original things that they, they decided to put on the steering wheels because you wouldn't, you know, look away. You could pretty much know where to go on the steering wheel while you're still looking ahead at the road. But now they're putting so much stuff on the steering wheels, it almost defeats the purpose.
0: I was in a rental, I was in a rental car over the weekend, driving it. It was a uh, Jeep, uh, and as I was driving it, um, I'll call it accidentally. I put my hand on the back of the steering wheel, and there were buttons.
1: Oh wow! Yeah.
0: And I was like, "What? What? What would these <laughs> buttons do? And and what are they? And how would I know?" So I started pushing them, and the volume on the radio went up and down. Wow! Yeah. And it's taking. You know, this is on the back of the steering wheel, almost like as if it was a paddle shifter. Yeah,
1: actually, that's what my Fiat has. It has the volume controls on the radio itself, but then it has them on the back of the steering wheel, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: But but I didn't see it coming. I never even knew it was there. I I think I was backing up somehow, and I kind of grabbed the steering wheel and... I felt the button and I was like, oh, but buttons on the back? huh? And what, you know, was so this well, an
1: American car? What was it? That, what was it? Yeah, rental? it was a Jeep. A Jeep. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it's Chrysler. So that makes sense because uh, Fiat's Chrysler, too. So they probably use a lot of the same stuff. But, yeah, if, if you're not familiar with that stuff. And, and the other thing, too, that I found, not to get too off topic on this, but, you know, when you have multiple cars like you and I both have and they have different degrees of technology in them, sometimes like if i don't drive my mercedes for a month and i get in it sometimes i have to like think for a couple seconds like how do i do this again you know like how do i switch the radio to cd or how do i get back into the nav because every car is a little bit different it kind of gets back to the thing we're talking about in our last episode with 40 different names for automatic emergency braking not all the functions obviously to control electronics in every make they're not all they don't all work the same and you have to remember which car you're in and what you have to do to get those same things to, to work on each different car and there's that learning curve and if you don't drive them enough you can literally forget that you really can. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed it. Has your wife noticed it at all in your Lincoln MKZ?
0: Um, I, I'm, I'm not finding it as big a problem, but I did notice there was one button, and it's not coming to memory, whether it was a rear defrost button, I think, um, that you can uh, uh, not push on anywhere but the touchscreen. Okay. So if your rear window is fogging, you know, without the button on the touchscreen, you're not getting anything else. And I think the other button that was on the touchscreen that wasn't on um, uh, the dash was uh, a hand warmer Okay. for your, for
1: steering, your wheel. steering wheel. Yeah, which is, I know we've talked about this before, too. That's one of my favorite features. I love heated steering wheels. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, we 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 enjoy this the heated steering wheel for sure. Well, based on where you live, of course.
1: Yeah, so. but it's it's a great option, and some people might sound uh, frivolous. I remember um, you had, you had unfortunately had other things going on, but when we did our um, radio Island of Radio Misfits uh, Christmas extravaganza with our producer Tony Lozano and the rest of the Radio Misfits crew uh, back in December uh one of the things that we touched on was something like or or i was just espousing because i tend to espouse sometimes on things and i said like you know one of my favorite features and a lot of people might think this is like not useful but a heated steering wheel is like so awesome here in in our midwest winter and there was other people that had newer cars and they're going like yeah that is a really cool thing we love that too and it's like see it's pretty cool but um I just wanted to talk about those OLED things because it's certainly something I think we're going to be seeing more of. And I'm actually pretty excited to actually see this 38-inch dashboard, OLED dashboard in the new Escalade when it comes out, too, because it will probably be pretty cool to see. So we'll have to check that out. So, Lou, do you know what a Zebra crosswalk is?
0: Sure. It's where you've got your... uh White striping across the uh, uh, the crosswalk where uh, you're you're safe in that zone supposedly. Yeah. walking
1: Okay, you're such a smarty pants. I thought I was gonna pull one over on you, but yeah, that's what they cost. I figured, you know, when I saw the term zebra crosswalk, I figured that has to be what it is because it's just the the hash marks on the crosswalk where, in most states. Um, the uh drivers have to yield to pedestrians whenever they're in a marked crosswalk like that but uh, i found this online and this is it's kind of a fun thing to talk about no, we're not talking about being on safari with zebra crossings. We're talking about zebra-style crosswalks. But the this is a research um, study that was done by the journal uh, that was published in the Journal of Transport, Transport and Health, and um, they said that drivers of expensive cars are less likely to stop at pedestrian crossings. So that means, I guess. Considering all my cars are pretty expensive except for the Fiat, I guess that means I never stop at any crosswalk. It says, researchers observed hundreds of cars at Zebra Crosswalks in America where vehicles are required to stop by law and found owners of less expensive cars were significantly more likely to stop for pedestrians compared to those in more expensive vehicles. On average, the value of a stopping car was $5,900, while the value of a car that failed to stop was a $8,000. And they said that there was some link was found uh, between uh, race and gender bias related to pedestrian accident rates. But while some link was found in these areas, it was not statistically significant. Instead, the data showed that the value of a car was the greatest predictor of whether a driver would stop. And taking values from the well-respected U.S. price guide, Kelly Blue Book, the study found that for every $1,000 increase in the value of a car, the likelihood its driver would stop fell by 3%. <laughs> so I think, well, Lou, it means we're, we're never going to stop for anybody. If you're in your Viper and I'm in my in my Mercedes, we're just plowing everybody down.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I think that the, the other caveat here with the Zebra Crosswalk is you have to have somebody in it.
1: Exa- well, yeah.
0: <laughs> so so if there's nobody there, I mean, it's, it's the Wild West. You just drive through. But if there's somebody there, that's when... You actually should be stopping, and the reason why you want that cheaper car is because it's going so slow anyway. <laughs> you might as well just stop. And it, if and you hit something,
1: be, it's it's pretty much disposable anyway, right?
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you're going so slow in that cheaper car anyway. I mean, if you're in a Yugo and you're doing all of six miles an hour, and the person's walking in the lane, you know, you might as well stop because it'll just be embarrassing if they, <laughs> you know, beat you across the lane. <laughs> You know, now, if you're in your Porsche, you know, you got a real good chance of beating them across the Zebra <laughs> crosswalk. You know? so it's a game and of
1: chicken within the Zebra crosswalk.
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's, you know, kind of like an optional thing. Well, know? it says it, here, it,
1: you know, we had talked about the whole um, – that the we did a segment once that said drivers of um, of expensive cars are self absorbed and narcissistic and things like that. Uh, dr- specifically, German luxury performance cars, which again falls into my wheelhouse. Dr. Courtney Koffenauer of the University of uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, who led the research on this study, said that drivers of less expensive cars might be more likely to empathize with people on foot. A lower ability to interpret thoughts and feelings of others, along with feeling. Of entitlement and narcissism may have led to a lack of empathy for pedestrians among higher socioeconomic status drivers, which may result in lower yielding behaviors, which is a fancy way of saying people that drive um, expensive cars don't stop. And it says the study saw uh, participants wearing brightly colored t shirts wait at U.S. crosswalks in Portland and Las Vegas, and they observed the behavior of 500 cars. While the value of cars being stopped is a strong predictor of how cars would would stop it is undoubtedly telling perhaps more significant is that of the 500 cars observed just 129 stopped at crossings where they were legally mandated to do so so they're saving it even regardless of what cars are being driven about what 20 percent uh, stopped when they should have been st- when all of them should have been stopping so <laughs> I, I don't know how, how accurate that is so I guess they had to take the 129 that actually stopped and then the 500 it's, it gets a little you know convoluted but it's just like
0: on a like, sincere note I do think it matters on where you're driving at for example you know there's certain areas that you know they just don't stop I mean like if you're in Taiwan you know good luck um, at the same time, generally, are we talking about the United States or we're talking across the
1: world? Yeah, well, this is done here in the U.S. So this was a oh, only. Right. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you, you see videos of, of traffic in places like India where it's just literally, you know, everyone for themselves. And you're fighting through it with, with um, you know, scooters and motorcycles and and um, tuk-tuks and and cars and trucks. And it's just, yeah, it's it's a, it is like you said, the Wild West or whatever.
0: Yeah. Okay. So if we're in the the U.S., I mean, generally speaking, Americans are pretty good about following the rules. Um, You know, especially in city environments. You know, obviously, you're going to have some challenges, but um, I think I think people generally are are pretty good.
1: Yeah. I mean, I always obviously they've cracked down on that a lot, and it's funny. I always have this caveat that. When I'm a pedestrian, I don't like drivers. <laughs> when I'm a driver, I don't like pedestrians. So it's a, a conundrum there with me because I always have this weird entitlement that, you know, the law says you're supposed to stop as a, you know, when you're a pedestrian in the crosswalk and you're that pedestrian and you see all these cars, you know, speeding past. But then when I'm a in the car, you know, obviously I'll stop for them, but sometimes they just you know, can be kind of annoying or whatever. So I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was an interesting thing. And it's just funny how they just have these correlations that perhaps lead to the stereotypes that we have that, you know, people that drive expensive cars are, you know, more jerks than uh, people that drive, as you were saying, you know, the Yugo's or the Hyundai's or whatever, but okay, Lou, we're going to take a quick break here.
0: We'll be right back. This week on Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview, we talk with Aaron Freeman. I wrote the most popular physics-based eulogy in the history <laughs> of the internet. Wow, that is and very I'm, specific. Right, that's a <laughs> niche. That so net- is a real niche. I'm just saying. Right. Minutia Men Celebrity Interview, and opi show only on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. (laughs) Radiomisfits.com And friends would like to personally extend an invitation to you to join our 2020 graduation ceremony. And we'll be talking about some pancakes that are eaten in the middle of the street in Florida.
1: As well as PETA's new
0: attack on Animal Crossing. All that and more on this week's episode of And Friends. Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we're back.
1: Have you ever, um, and this is one, I don't know if you'd have this on your site, Lou, because these cars are mainly four door cars, and I know that you tend to look at uh, videotape cars that are two doors. Are you familiar with the Czech brand that was called Tatra? T a t r a.
0: I do have a Tatra on the. You channel. do okay. And, and uh, the Tatra, it's a forty-seven Tatra. Okay. Uh, so it's not as it sounds like as early as the one you're talking about. It, uh, um, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, the the cool thing about Tatras is they were um, they were Czech made. And they were usually reserved for—they were considered a higher-end car, so a lot of them went into government service. The coolest thing about the Tatra, at least the later models—because I don't know if they all had V8s in them, but they were rear-engine, rear-wheel drive— air-cooled V8s which is like such a crazy combination of of things it's the only rear-engine V8 air-cooled rear-drive car that i know of and just really really cool cars totally funky and this was a car that I found in Hemings, are at the point of the uh, program here, we like to talk about a car that's either for sale or has sold or is going up for auction, stuff that I found online, either at Hemmings or bring a trailer. And this one comes from Hemmings, and it's a 1971 Tatra 2-603. So it's basically like their big, top-of-the-line, four-door sedan. Uh, it's a 71, but it looks like it was styled in the 50s. It's got that total communist... Uh, era look to it it's got four headlights in the center grille with two uh, driving lights on the outer parts of it it's got the big uh, air scoops on the rear fenders for that air-cooled v8 and back and the cool thing about this one was this was an xplo german east german stasi vehicle so it was actually used by the East German Secret Police. It says here, first owned by East German Stasi, which is the Ministry for State Security, it was assigned to the Palestine Liberation Organization, PLO, in East Berlin between 1971 and 1980 as a diplomatic car used exclusively as a spy courier car between East and West and involved in many PLO European missions. And that is just such a cool provenance. I mean, if those seats could talk, you'd have some... Pretty wild, uh, wild stories with that. And the car itself, like I said, it's a 2.5 liter, so that is very small for a V8, but it's 105 horsepower, air-cooled, rear-wheel drive, rear-engine, air-cooled V8, four-speed manual transmission. This was restored front-to-back, red interior, black body, no price. My guess is that's about a $60,000 car alone to its buyer, um but with the provenance, it could go quite a bit higher than that, maybe touching a hundred thousand because this car is absolute museum quality, but it's just cool that it just it has this history behind it and every now and then i've I've seen other touchtras for sale too that are are like X. Ex- like police or secret service cars i remember one of them that was for sale on hemmings it still had like the all the lights and sirens inside it and had the little light bar on top and it was just the coolest thing i mean that they're crazy cool cars
0: so what year was
1: this one this is a 71 and it looks like it's from the 50s i mean it's kind of like obviously the body style didn't change But that's because they they didn't make that many of these really big Tatras. It's a 2-603, which is the 603 was the model, Um, the big 603. It's a cool, really cool-looking car. And uh, I've seen one—actually, I've seen a couple Tatras. the guy that used to run the orphan car show here in the Chicagoland area has a Tatra. And then another guy that I ran into at a car show a couple years ago has a Tatra. So I've seen two of them in, in real life, real person, but you just hardly ever see them. And they're just so quirky and cool that I just wanted to, uh, to share that. Do you remember any of the details of the one that, that you videoed? Although well, the 47 that I videoed is a four door. Uh,
0: the thing that, in my opinion, it makes it unique is a couple of things. Number one, it looks like a cyclops. So it has an eyeball right in the center of two headlights yeah. uh, in, the, in the middle of the grille. Uh, I'm not sure if that headlight moves at all. You I know, don't think it
1: does, close? but it might. Who knows?
0: Yeah. And then secondly, the the unmistakable thing is it has basically a dorsal fin off the back end mm-hmm. of it. Oh, yep. Uh, for, for driving stability at speed. Yep um where it has this massive center uh uh you know fin coming out of the back yep. of it that, uh, yep i know that car yep you know makes it makes it unmistakable
1: yeah yeah it's they're just really really cool cars they're quirky they're they're you know very limited uh collector appeal i think just because they're so weird but they're so cool i mean it's just the concept of an air-cooled v8 alone is cool but then putting it in the rear <laughs> it's just it just defies all convention you know it's just such a such a funky funky car so i definitely wanted to uh to bring that it's it's been for sale for a while on hemmings i haven't looked to see if it's still there yet but it's one of these cars that it says it's museum quality it's been fully restored it's only got 500 miles on it since the restoration so it's definitely a a car that's not going to find a, a you know ready buyer right away at the price that they would be you know hoping to get for it but just the provenance behind it is it's just a very very unique uh, vehicle and um, as we know provenance can add a lot to a car at At different points in its uh, lifetime as well. If you like the Car Guys Report informed automotive that's what we're doing right here then be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the Radio Misfits podcast network like the show called Minutia Men. Rick Kempfer and Dave Stern are consumers of worthless information and each week they share their newest worthless information in their podcast called Minutia Men. Check it out at radiomisfits.com. You can also go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts also that's where you'll find us the car guys report informed automotive mark vernon along with uh, lou costable and lou i know you've been looking forward to this uh to this uh topic uh because it's something that i we've talked about it before briefly on the program talking about how cars that have hidden headlights are very cool and this is a list that i came across online from motorius and i titled it the 10 coolest cars with hidden headlights but then well according to motorius because i added a couple (laughs) on the bottom and i'm sure you'll probably be able to think of a few too but um, i'll just start working down the list
0: well, don't no no don't work down the list just yet okay if it's the ten coolest cars I have to get guesses so okay uh, knowing that uh, I have not seen this list uh, I'm gonna take a guess and you can tell me if it's on the list I'm gonna say the uh, first of all does he break it down by year it's or it's is it just um, in general
1: It's just in general I think because
0: I, I don't have okay. anything then that's the, really' got be the, the first one has got to be the corvette. Well, you
1: know, that's the funny thing. That wasn't even on the list. And and, and I have others to consider, Car Guys Addendum, Corvette, various years. And that's why I said I always take these with a grain of salt because it's like, well, according to Motorius, they didn't have the Corvette. My C4 not only has hidden headlights, they rotate. So they actually they just don't pop up. They actually rotate 180 degrees to open up. You know what I'm saying? So they fit flush with the body panels when they're open. And then when they're closed, they fit flush. They just don't pop up like some do. So, yeah, so that, that's, that's something you and I were totally— on board there that they didn't even list the corvette on this on this list so
0: that's that's hard to believe because i mean the first car you you know when you just think hidden headlights yeah i mean when you're when your mind goes okay let me do history of hidden headlights um did they put the auburn cord on there uh
1: actually no good Troy. yeah that's that's one i even i I didn't even um think of that's not on my addenda yeah that's a good one so the
0: the Auburn Cord was probably the first hidden headlight car. Okay? So so when you miss the first hidden headlight car I'm going to have a problem there's, with your list. There's
1: something wrong with your list. Exactly. There's
0: something wrong with your list. When you miss you know, the car that started hitting headlights, that's a bad day for me. So, And then now I'm saying, okay, all right, so let's go something a little more sporty, because when you think hidden headlights, you think sporty. Well, that would be the C2 Corvettes. I mean, you know, let's look at that absolutely fantastic design. And one of the coolest things about it is, okay, pull the headlights out. Look at this flips over. Yeah. Um, and then other cars, late '60s, things like that, started to pull the trick as well.
1: Yeah, one of those. Um, one of those on the list is the '66 to '67 Olds Tornado had the, the similar headlights that you just talked about from the, the C2. Yeah, I would
0: have. I, I first of all, I never would have guessed that car. Okay, so let me give a few more guesses. Okay, so we've taken out the Auburn Cord, we've taken out the Corvette. Corvette. Um, I'm already getting a sour taste in my mouth for this. How, <laughs> how about the? Uh, how about the Superbird of the Daytona? Yep, that's
1: on there. 69 Dodge Charger, Daytona, Plymouth Superbird. All right. Yep.
0: Okay, so so now they've gotten a little cred with me. I'm, I'm a little bit back okay. in line now. Okay, so the Superbird and the Daytona are on there. How about the, um, uh, let's see. I
1: know there's a couple you're not going to get on this list.
0: Well, what about the Porsche? What about the 911? Uh, it says
1: uh, the 911 never had hidden headlights. The 928 has... You know, and again, this I don't call the 928 really hidden. They just kind of lay open on the hood, and then they pop up. So they're exposed, but they pop up. You're thinking of the 914 had the pop-up headlights. The okay, 914, 914 had pop-up headlights, and the 928 has the ones that are exposed, yeah, just, but they <laughs> lay flat on the hood, and then they pop up. But they don't have any kind yeah, of they, covering on them. So they're, they're not exactly close. hidden. That's what I wrote down. Not really hidden, but exposed.
0: Well, those aren't. Only not hidden. Those are like hideous because those are actually like
1: they look strange. I've never liked those. Yeah,
0: right. They look like they're trying to uh, you know do some kind of a moonbeam shot. Yeah, and then you pull the thing and it and it it falls forward. Um, Yeah, but yeah, those are clearly not hidden. Uh, Those those are some of these. There's a couple
1: others on the list too that I would take issue with being not exactly hidden. And again, hidden doesn't mean. Pop up necessarily like one that that's like the '67 to '69 T Bird when the T Bird was a big luxury car at first uh in the late '60s when it morphed from kind of a personal luxury car into a bigger sedan and they had the suicide doors on the on the back. Those had hidden headlights where they would just have like the panel like so many different Fords or Mercuries or whatever where the panels would either move up or slide out of the way somehow to expose the headlights so,
0: so then did they, are they are they then considering all you know the lincoln continentals of that time they would have too? to
1: they're not on they're not on this list but they'd have to because it's the same design and, and cougars were like that too i believe didn't cougars oh have yeah it? the cougars yeah. Yeah, anything the cougars with those doors that. the doors would either were, didn't they have some doors that would actually open and kind of like go into the fender instead of just going up they'd like open on the well, sides I,
0: well, some of the early Camaros, some of the first generation Camaros, especially when they had the hidden headlights, those headlights actually like slid off into the into the fenders. Yeah. They went sideways yeah. rather than. And that's than up on the list. Down. The
1: '67 to '69 Camaro RS is up on there. here. Yeah, that um, the T Bird we talked about, the Ferrari Daytona '68 to '73. And that has the the headlights that are kind of—I don't know if those are even fully hidden, are they? Because I'm trying to think if they're—they're they're kind of like the Corvette-style ones that you were talking about, but I don't know if they're fully all the way um, hidden, so to speak. Uh, a couple other ones, the Lamborghini Countach, 74 through 90. And a couple of the ones that you wouldn't get on the list, Lou, uh, is the 67— Toyota 2000 GT, that was that very limited edition or low number, low production number uh, Toyota that they made. Super cool car. Those had uh, hidden headlights. The 1970 through 77 Alfa Romeo Montreal. And again, they're not exactly hidden. They're shrouded because no, they kind of the, have louvers. The Mon-
0: yeah, the Montreal is not hidden. Yeah, louvers. Uh, yeah, they have But they have said like the louvers hidden- moved
1: out of the way, though, when the headlights were turned on. That's what they... St- that's what I understand. I've seen a couple of Montreal's in, in, in person. I don't remember ever seeing how exactly how the headlights worked. But you 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 know the car, so you know that, that they're shrouded almost behind like a well, grille.
0: Well, let me go back to what you said with the Ferrari Daytona, too. I'm actually, uh, I've got one on the channel. I'm looking at it. Clearly, they're, I would even consider this hidden. I mean, if you're looking face first onto the car, yeah. you could see between the bumper and and the actual body panel that there are headlights. That's what in I thought. There.
1: That's what I kind of remembered in the back of my mind.
0: But you know, clearly the the, the Montreal, um, you know, those are those are headlights you could see. They're just like you said. They're 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 almost uh, uh, like a, a picket picket fence.
1: Yeah, like a hose. louver, like a blind, right. almost like if you were to do like a Venetian blind or something. The the strikes. Well, Let
0: even say this: if if the headlights. On your Montreal, didn't pop up. You'd still have lighting in front of you.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah.
0: The the Daytona, if you had no headlights and it didn't pop up, you'd have a problem seeing because it's just a little slit. And it's kind of facing downward. but and you can write your 928
1: I, out for a searchlight, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, when we're talking actual hidden headlights, uh, yeah, you could do it like a bat signal. Yeah. You, could just, uh, you could just turn on your lights, and some police officer off a of cloud would figure out where you're at. That would at. be awesome. Um, but, um, yeah, no, hidden is more like a 68 Caprice. That uh, where they actually pop up and you can't see them. And I agree with the, you know I can see the tornado or something like that. And I agree with the T bird. But uh. the
1: first generation Miatas ninety through ninety seven had actual pop up headlights. I believe that's on the list. And then the only other car I added because I had one and not a lot of people wouldn't have thought that thought about this one was the Saab Sonnet the, the Sonnet three from uh 70 okay. through 74 yep. and those were those are such a uh a, a, a man i mean they're totally manual because i had one you just had a big lever under the dashboard and you would just yank on it and would literally just pull the headlights up no motors nothing and the uh bushings for the rod that would um operate the um the pop up mechanism those would would fail all the time, so it was kind of a pain in the butt to replace those and I remember too that the sonnet was such a it was basically it was a hand built car because they didn 't make that many of them that it had it just like a relay like a like a micro switch so when the headlights would pop up, it would actuate this little micro switch and it would actually turn the headlights on that way it was just so it was terrible. It really was. <laughs> but I put that on there because that, that definitely has hidden headlights and they're pop-ups. And that's the only ones I could think of. Uh, obviously, are there any more that, that come to your mind? I mean, you, I know that we talked a ton of the ones of, of the, the, the Fords, the Lincolns, the Mercurys had a ton of those in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, but that's why I like to bring up some I'll of these I'll lists because no. there's always uh, things we can, we can pick them apart for, you know?
0: The... Um uh, if you're gonna say the uh, uh, the sign, it reminds me of the um, uh, what's the one? The Bricklin. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the Bricklin had popped up old headlight. safety
1: vehicle Bricklin. It did, yeah.
0: So. Uh, and
1: that's the total era, same era as the as the Saab sonnet. and They probably almost they almost looked alike too. That the the actual headlight design, as yeah. far as I remember, that's so funny.
0: And then you and then you've got. Almost every big Ford, you know, you mentioned that the LTD, the Grand Marquis, etc., all, you know, had that, you know, at, at some time, and they had that fake, um, you know, groovy script on there making it look like it was elegant in front of yeah. the door. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. And
1: some of those were vacuum-operated, too, I believe, right? They weren't all electrical. Oh, yeah.
0: No, they were vacuum-operated. They were, vacuum operated. They were uh, I think the... uh The Cougars, and and you'd know when they're vacuum operated. I can even think of some of the Plymouths, I think, had uh, vacuum operated. Like I could think of the Chrysler 300 in the 70s, I think, had uh, vacuum operated. And and what they would do is you'd have a winking eye. Okay. You know, so one would be closed and the other one could. Oh, yeah, yeah. It it couldn't quite really, Uh you know, couldn't really quite get it all there.
1: Yep. Yeah, and it's funny when you would see when you'd see a car that has like <laughs> one up and one kind of up or whatever. Oh boy! Yeah, I'm looking, at,
0: I'm looking at it. I'm looking at a '68 Chrysler 300 that has hideaway headlights on the channel, and uh, yeah, you know, so so you would get that kind of half winking eye, and it almost looked like. Uh, um, you know the car had you know needed a mechanic or something because just it literally made the it made a car that looked so cool with the headlights down. When one didn't go all the way down, it looked it made it look like it was a wounded soldier. Exactly, just looked at it like oh god, I'm it, so sorry to see that car. And, it would add it looked,
1: a big part of human character to the vehicle.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, it looks like somebody got punched in the eye, and the other eye didn't close, like a like a bad fighter <laughs> after after a loss. <laughs> you know.
1: Oh, boy.
0: Well, oh, I'm so sorry to see that 1970 Plymouth Chrysler 300, or that, excuse me, that 1970 Chrysler 300 with the punched in eye. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to have a little bit of fun with that list because um, I know that, you know, we don't have enough cars these days with... uh with it. I don't know if there's any cars with actual hidden
0: headlights well, let, anymore. Let me let me add one other character oh, yeah, to, this, sure. to, this, yeah. to this list only because I think it has a, a, a tad bit of interest. If you look at like the 65 Chrysler 300, they actually had a clear
1: uh-huh. Uh, yeah. uh
0: clear over the and I think I I can remember an LTD like a Sport LTD that uh, I think it was like 65 or 67 that had a clear um, piece of plastic over the headlights. Uh, or you could look at like an E-Type from 67 that had that clear piece of plastic. Technically, those, according to this list, obviously you could see them, so they wouldn't be hidden. So I don't want to go into that. But yeah, but it, well, it's it, basically
1: the same thing that I have, you know, the Aston Martin the DB7 yeah. that I have. Has, it has a what are called covered or not hidden but covered headlights you know it's got the the, right, the, right, right. the tint. It, it's a slight tint i think and they actually Aston actually puts a uh, venting in there they have a a, a tube that somehow t- brings air into the uh covered headlight area so it doesn't fog and um you can clearly see the, the actual lights through there, but it's got the cover. And, and Alfa Romeo, um, the early uh, uh, Spiders, I don't know if there was, was a factory option or a standard thing, but they had a lot of the, the Corello covered headlight, uh, the Corello headlight covers and stuff. I always thought that was a really good look, just having some kind of a headlight cover that's fixed, but it's aerodynamically integrated and integrated into the bodywork, and it just looks really cool.
0: You know, like the race cars of the 50s yeah. or uh, any of the Jaguars of the Friars. Let me mention one tip to people who might be listening. If you have these cars now that are a little bit older and they have that plastic encapsulated headlight and it starts to fog or it gets water inside there, one thing that I did um, intentionally, I had an older Ford Explorer and it was getting water inside the headlight. I actually took a very small Dremel tool and put a, you know, just... Cut right into the, you know, drilled a hole at the bottom of the, uh, um, I'll call it the headlight. And sure enough, all the water drained out. Never had a problem wow. with it again.
1: Wow. That's good to know. What car was that you did it on?
0: It was a 2000 Ford Explorer that was getting light, that was getting water when I drive it. There was obviously some type of crack at the top of the. Headlight assembly, okay. so I was, I was starting to get water. that sure. was actually like it was looking like a fish in a fish bowl. Huh. You know, the, the water was uh-huh. going back and forth and splashing in there, and it was like this water's just not going to escape. And what I was concerned more about is I'm going to have a you know an, a, an exposed headlight that's hot, getting gonna you know cool shatter water or short out it. or yeah yeah. So I said, how do I defeat that? And uh, sure enough, a very small Dremel tool, a uh, hole into the side of it drained all the water out. You know, and it worked perfectly. Cool. So it doesn't—it doesn't always work perfectly for you, but that was a moment that it did.
1: And uh, that's another tip from Handyman Lou and his garage. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. We would like for you to stay home and listen to Opie shows you'll be saving the world while you listen to the podcast and oh be sure to also wash your hands what do you know another delivery of brake parts we go through breaks here at the car guys report warehouse like they're going out of style and we'll be right back after this and we're back here on the car guys report informed automotive mark vernon along with uh, lou costable and lou i know that, that you have a, of all the cars that i own you like my 1958 chevy impala uh yeah, the good. best and unfortunately in uh the er- february of this year 2020 uh chevy uh general Motors chevrolet once again, and probably finally for good, pulled the plug on the Chevy Impala. Uh, this is a car that has been on again, off again, on again, and finally off again as of february of 2020 uh basically the modern impalas were really nothing what the earlier impalas were Uh, actually in 1958 the impala was actually an option package for the uh, bel air and it was more of a a trim thing uh has the 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 checkered uh race flags and uh, uh an actual uh Figure of an impala, which is like a gazelle or an a antelope. And it was such a big hit that it, they made the car its own model starting in 1959. In 1961, they introduced the first Impala Supersport, uh, or um, what we know as the Impala SS. Uh, Chevrolet's classic 409 was first used in 1962 in the Impala. And then just a whole bunch of uh, classic 60s Impalas. Uh, the 1965 Impala still holds the record for production. Uh, of most units sold of any one model ever. One million units they sold there. It shows how popular the car was. Just just an incredible uh, lineage. And some of the uh, other cherry-picked things here. In 1986... The Impala nameplate was retired for the first time with the Caprice carrying the entire full-size Chevy line. And then it wasn't until 1994, so that would be uh, eight years later, that the Impala would reclaim the top of the line position from the Caprice when they introduced the V8 powered Impala SS and that had the uh, LT uh1 engine in it which was uh those are cool cars they came in the uh, dark cherry red and I think black or the, and then they had a, a metallic kind of an aqua metallic um green color that they had and um the caprice so it says here uh those big brawny muscle cruisers still have a following and possess quite the road presence but they weren't enough to keep gm's long-lived b body in production so both caprice and impala ended production once again in the u.s in 96 and then the impala followed on the heels of the relaunch malibu and debuted once again for 2000 so basically from 2000 to 2008, they said Chevy sold an average of 250,000 Impalas every year, but uh, after the 2007-2008 financial crisis, the um, sales volume never really uh, bounced back from those levels. The final generation of the Impala debuted for the 2014 model years, the W-bodied Impalas, uh, mainly used for fleet uh, rental cars and fleets and things like that, and um, again the uh volume just wasn't keeping up with um you know, the, the money that they were making for GM, so that's pretty much why they they pulled the plug. But it says here, this is uh, coming from Haggerty. the Impala has a long and somewhat patchy history as GM's tops sedan. It was the most beautiful four-seater and also the quickest car they built at times, yet it languished as a fleet special later in its life, only to be reborn as a competitive and well-built family car. As GM adapts to the changing market, there may be a place for Impala to make its third car, come back. Its name has been used on wagons in the past so it wouldn't be the most ridiculous use of a storied name on an electric crossover, kind of like what Ford is doing with the all-electric Mustang uh E. But uh, it's just a shame when uh, a classic a nameplate like that uh gets put out to pasture. I I absolutely adore my 58 Impala. It's an incredible car and it just really is a you know, classic in every sense of the word. So it's just kind of a shame that that GM finally, you know, pulled the plug once again. And, and it's, it's so many times that GM has pulled the plug on cars, not in the case of the Impala so much here. But remember the Fiero when it first came out? Yeah. And it was a pretty crappy car when it first came out. But then, like, four years later, they had the the cool, like, GT uh styled body with the sail panels and they were putting the v6 in there with the five speed and they sorted out all the problems and then they discontinued it and i mean how many times has gm done that when they finally get a car right and then they pull the plug here the impala hasn't been a super great car for a long time it's been a a competent car but not a performance vehicle i think the last coolest impala they made was the was the 94 with those ss's when those came out those are neat cars but it's just a shame that the impalas are gone for good but um, when something ends, maybe the price goes up. So not that I'm going to be selling my 58 Impala anytime soon, but I'm more than happy to hang on to it and, uh, see where it uh, ends up price wise. Do you have any thoughts, uh, on the Impala Lou? I know that you like my 58 and I'm sure you've done a ton of, um, sixties Impalas on your channel as well.
0: Um, I, I, I get the feeling that name's going to come back at some point. um, Uh, the only thing that disappoints me is when you bring a name back, you have to give it the cool factor of what it had before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem. I don't think this Impala was anywhere near as cool as some of the other Impalas. I mean, when you had an Impala and you, you know, approached this, it was a pretty cool car. And, uh, I'm just checking. I just typed in Impala on my channel. There are 26 Impalas on my channel. So uh, I'm obviously a, a fan, and there's some really cool ones from the different years. And I, I do like to share different years so that people get a flavor of that. But, um, you know, none of those are Impalas in the 2000s. So, um, you know, they, they, they had something going on in the 50s and the 60s, maybe. I'm just trying to see. You know, so when you... When you don't do it justice, I mean, I'll use, for example, I, I, you know, the GTO. You know, you had the GTO rolling for a long time and really great marketing. And then I get it. We had some problems with the gas. But then when you turned it into a Nova and put a Trans Am hood scoop on it and tried to call it the GTO, <laughs> the, public just didn't, the, the public just was like, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. and. Uh, and then they turned it into, you know, this, this car in 73, that just, I don't know what it wanted to do, some kind of colonnade body, I think they call it or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, when you start to deviate from the design, and let me give you one they've done it right, and this is General Motors as well, I think every year Corvette, I don't care what year it is, is pretty gosh darn cool. So, even the worst Corvette still looks great. and. You know, whether whatever generation it is, and I'll give you another company name, the Dodge Viper. There's not a bad Viper design, period. They all look good. Corvettes, they all look good. You may not like one more than another. I get that, but when you look at the fact that they're making it curvy and special, and they're trying to do something special, it shows. And Chevrolet just got to the point that we're like, you know, we're going to call it Impala. Everybody knows that name, so let's make it bland and. Make it suburban and you know put four doors on it. Yeah, that's the worst yeah. thing when they just
1: start, you know, dumbing it down, so to speak, and just taking any uh, heritage and and uh, special specialness out of it, and just it just becomes another car.
0: Yeah, and to the credit of to the credit of Camaro, Camaros always look good, and to the credit of Mustang, Mustangs always look good. Yeah, you could say, okay, Lou, a '74 Gia, How can you say it looks good? Yeah, okay, good mistake. Got it. But um, you know the uh, you know I, I guess the bottom line is put some passion in it. If you put some passion in it, people are going to get it. You know, even if it doesn't work, they know that you tried. <clears throat> and sadly, when you don't put an effort into it, the public knows it, it right shows, away yeah. and will and will reject it. Yeah.
1: Very salient points there, Lou on the uh, you, thought yeah seriously on the uh, on the thoughts of the impala maybe you know we we're joking about the the higher-ups when they're in their board meetings at uh, fiat chrysler and gm that they're secretly listening to our podcast and maybe <laughs> maybe you should be on their board and and if you just told them what you just told us maybe they'd think it look at things differently i don't know but it's <laughs> yeah. and, and
0: where's that it, where's that email? That line? email is, the is board Car Guys Directors Report.
1: It's Car Guys Report at Hotmail.com. And remember, Lou, I've got an end to Mike Manley now at Fiat Chrysler. So if there's anything I can do for you along those lines, just let me know.
0: Yeah, share, share with in the channel, and uh, maybe you'll be a subscriber, and you'll see a few, few cars they'll love.
1: I'm the mover and shaker here when it comes to that. The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is what you're listening to here on opishows.com. You can find us on opishows.com wherever you find your podcasts. You can search also for Radio Misfits. You can search directly for Car Guys Report. We're available on Apple's podcast spotify iheart google play stitcher and tune in please subscribe to our uh, podcast when you do you'll get an automatic notification of new content which is once a week and also take a moment or two to rate us too we'd love to get some more five-star ratings if you like what we're doing please let us know. And remember, whenever you're listening to any podcast from opishows.com or the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, it's entirely free. And it's listening on your own terms, wherever you are, in the car, on a boat, walking in the park, at home, whatever you're doing, whatever device you're listening on, your phone, your tablet, your desktop, your laptop. That's what podcasting is all about. It's listening on your own terms. You can fast forward, rewind, replay, delete, do whatever you want. It's it's up to you. It's podcasting, the Radio Misfits podcasting network style. We are the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable. and One of my favorite parts of the program is upon us when we talk about Lou's YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou. Lou, you can tell us how the Car Guys uh, Report guessing game goes for My Car Story with Lou.
0: So, Mark has no idea of the three cars I'm going to mention, and I'll mention them by oldest car first, and these are cars that are on the YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou, so you can see the caretaker talk about these cars and why they're special to them. So knowing that my channel is independent of anybody else's channel, somebody else could video the exact same car and get completely different results, but the guessing game is is based on the most views, Mark's going to guess of the three cars I'm going to give him, which has the most views, the second amount of views, and the third amount of views, and we'll see if he gets them in the right order of which has the most views. And i have usually let the channel go for about a week or two, so I've got a... You know, a gap in there somewhere. But I will say, Mark, this gap is small. Okay. The gap between these cars is uh, the the least amount of views is forty seven hundred, and the most views is sixty two hundred. Wow! Wow! And the car in the middle is at five thousand. So we're talking, you know, a twelve hundred spread from first to second and then a 300 spread so these cars are all pretty gosh darn close cool so this is going to be a tricky one to guess and uh, which really means all of these cars are somewhat winners but uh, or maybe all losers based on the way you look at them. <laughs> if, if you're a glass half full guy or glass half empty i'm guy, a glass
1: half full guy <laughs> i right, think so or no, maybe i'm a pessimist so that makes me a glass half empty <laughs> i don't know <laughs>
0: All right. Let's go with the oldest first. The 1936 Packard Model 1401 Victoria Convertible and the Super 8 Engine Sound. Wow. Okay. The next one is a 1956 Continental Mark II Mm -hmm. in star mist white Mm -hmm. engine sound, and we took a ride in it.
1: A big slab-sided car if there ever was one.
0: (laughs) Correct. And the last one, a 1968 Buick GS400 stock appearance in black and engine sound. So we've got a black stock appearance. And what that means, just for those watching, stock appearance means that the car looks stock. If you open the hood, it looks stock. But they've probably put a hotter cam in there or uh, put uh, some better electronic ignition so that it the term. Appears.
1: The term sleeper. Yeah. Comes into play
0: there. Not necessarily. A sleeper would be more like a 409 Chevy that doesn't have the emblems on it. But this is more where they've actually taken these to stock appearance races, and you're allowed some modifications to better improve your car. Like it might be, you know, a little larger exhaust or something Mm -hmm. like that versus what the factory is, but it has all the stock appearance. Although you've hopped up, maybe better, you know, camshafts or something like that, or better piston heads or sleeves inside. Sure. So, so Stuff you don't right. see, really. Right. Stuff yeah. you don't see. So it all looks normal, um, or maybe even what there's, there's. Listen to this. There's fuel injected carburetor systems. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a carburetor, yep. but it's a fuel injector instead. So yeah. And things like that that give it the stock appearance. So let me go through the three again. 1936 Packard Model 1401 Victoria Convertible, a 1956 Continental Mark II in star mist white engine sound and ride, which means we took a ride in it, and a 1968 Buick GS400 stock appearance in black and engine sound.
1: I would go with the Lincoln at number one, the Packard number two, and the Buick in number three.
0: Those are the exact opposite order that they came. in.
1: <laughs> See, well, that's because I'm I'm an independent thinker, there, Lou. <laughs> uh,
0: other than the, other than, of course, the Packard, which you said was number two, so that one you're dead on. But the, the Buick was number B- one. The Buick was number wow. one. Uh, that it's surprises B- me. Yep, and the uh, uh, I think I think actually, if I was guessing the guesses that you did, I would have picked them that way too. Um, I didn't expect the Buick to have the popularity. Now, remember, we're seeing the popularity, but we're only talking about 1,500, you know, different in in views, so it's...
1: The spread is small.
0: This this wasn't a, like, for example, our last one was 15,000 views versus 5,000 versus 3,500, so there was a huge spread in our last one, uh, which, by the way, I might remind people that Mark guessed the number one car correctly, the 68 Mr. Norm Dodge Dart GSS. But I haven't had a trifecta
1: for a long time, though, and I want one again. It's
0: been been a little while (laughs) for trifecta. We've we've had, you know, one... you're getting one out of three consistently, so we've, we've got to up that on our next The, uh, the
1: thing that surprised me, nothing against Buicks, but I just never see Buicks being real popular as far as
0: well, audience
1: participation, add, I guess.
0: Now, let's talk YouTube channel for a moment. So the funny thing about that is you may think, wow, a Corvette. I mean, there's lots of Corvettes out there. It's a good-looking car, very popular. If you do a regular Corvette, and a regular means it's not some kind of limited edition, blah, 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 it gets no views. Nobody cared. But if you do something that's a little bit unique, an AMC something, a, uh, uh, you know, a Buick, an Oldsmobile, uh, generally people don't see as many of them. So they're kind of like, oh, that's what that's about. It has kind of the unique factor.
1: But in the case of the Buick, though, you said that all those modifications were hidden. So to me, it would still, to most people, look like just a stock, box stock Buick Skylark. It, Which it isn't, does
0: look like yeah. it does look like a Buick GS 400 stock. Yeah, I mean it's a cool car. car.
1: I like. I've always liked that body style. It's a cool looking car, but it just—it's funny that it just surprises me that that came out on top.
0: Well, well, let's take the car that you chose as number one. All right, you chose the 1956 Continental. This is a car that's design was considered maybe one of the greatest designs of all time. So why would that car not be number one? And, again, I go back to what I say. This is on my channel. You know, I could put up somebody else's, instead of the Star Mist White, all of a sudden somebody gives me a baby blue one that we video that car two years later, and it gets, you know, three times the amount of views that this one does. Yeah. So there's no rhyme or reason to this at all. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, throwing jelly beans across the room and hoping it lands closest to the wall. You never know which one's actually the yeah. That Lincoln was also,
1: if I recall correctly, uh, a car that Lincoln lost something like twenty thousand dollars on each car because it well, cost that much more to build than they were selling it for.
0: Right. Remember, they never called it a Lincoln; they only called it a Continental. Continental yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you're, you know, the rumors are that they lost money on every one. It's kind of like this 58 Cadillac. But it was the, a ton the, of money they the lost. Top. It
1: wasn't, you know, just a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. It was thousands. And, and back in and, 1956 dollars today, that'd be like huge.
0: And it was one of the most expensive cars that you could buy at the time. Yeah. And yeah. So it's uh, there's no rhyme or reason to it. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's kind of interesting.
1: Cool. And the, the only the, the reason I, I picked the Packard number two is because I never think the cars in the 30s probably don't get as much interest as they should in some way, shape, or form. But, I mean, I personally don't get all gaga over them, and there's some that I really like. I think Puroceros are really cool. Packards are cool. But that's another one where I'm always like, if you have a car that you throw at me in the list and it's from the 30s, I'm never quite sure it's going to be number one. So,
0: Well, let me, let me ask you an easy question, and this is why cars from before 1940 aren't. You know, there was a war, so we didn't have cars really between '42 through about '46, yeah. general '47 generally. Um, maybe a few slipped in there, and they're really rare. But my point is this: because they were taking the metal and using it towards war efforts. But any car before the war, that warf. So let's say technically '41, but if we could say '42. Some cars that were built in '41 had the '42 emblems, et cetera. Uh, kind of like how cars used to come out in September mm-hmm. 2020, that would be the 21 version. But anyway, my point is simply this. If I gave you a 36-packer, gave it to you, would you know how to start it?
1: Uh, probably not right off the bat, but I could probably figure it out after a little while. Because I know they're, I mean, I know a lot of those cars, they used to have all the spark advance on the steering column. And and you'd have a, a lot of times you'd have separate starter pedals. Versus accelerator pedals and sometimes the um, order, sometimes the accelerator was in the center instead of on the right where we're used to it and a whole bunch of different kind of things like that. So the short answer right. would be no, not right away, but if I monkeyed around with it for long enough, I'd probably figure it out one way or another. <laughs> or at least okay, I would get yeah. it to crank. I don't know if I'd get it to start, put it that way, because you probably yeah. have like a fuel regulator you have to turn and a bunch of other junk.
0: Not, not to your point. You're a guy who likes cars, and it would take you a while. If we went to the 20s, you know, I would be stuck. Yeah. I, I mean, anything 1925 and 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 older, I'd be stuck on how to start it. Um, so, you know. I mean, it would be super cool if someone showed us and then we were driving it because we'd really feel we learned something. But that's the challenge when you start to get the cars that that level. And remember, YouTube is, you know, usually a younger person's. Yeah, TV. exactly. Uh, but, you you know, did, guys, but
1: you did take the Packard for a ride, didn't you? You said uh, that
0: the 30, the 36 Packard we did not take Oh, you for didn't, a ride. did you start we, it? We rode in the Continental. Okay. Yeah, but but the but yeah, the the 36 Packard we do have the engine sound. So
1: how do you start the 36 Packard?
0: Um <laughs> I don't know. Thing?
1: Okay, you don't know. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean hopefully it's uh you know, I have to look at it like you maybe it's as simple as a turnkey and a, and a I show, think that but, the, yeah. the
1: later 30s cars weren't as as complicated as, like you were saying, like from the 20s or the teens. That's when they had all the they literally had like yeah. a spark advance on the center, like where the horn would be and they had, you know, fuel regulators and timing and all kinds of just, it was just ridiculous. Well,
0: it, well, here's, here's a good example. There's a car on the channel that nobody's really looked much at that the, the, the people will be fascinated by if they do. It's called the Locomobile, it's just mm-hmm. like a locomotive yep. and a mobile. And there's very few of them <clears throat> because they were the most expensive car in 1920. You could yeah. just punch in My Car Story with Lou, most expensive car in 1920, or punch in My Car Story with Lou on YouTube and then punch in the word Locomobile, one word. But the story behind that car is just fat, and we take a ride in it, it's just fascinating. And yet, when you're opening up the engine compartment and you're trying to look at how this thing starts, and there's little oil gauges and things like this, yeah. and, and, and to your point, there's things on the steering wheel that are, that are actually acceleration advances and things. You know, it's confusing. Yeah. So, you know, um, I would be stuck if the locomobile shut down. And for some reason, the caretaker decided he needed to go, you know, take a phone call. And he says, Lou, come pick me up. You know, calls me up and says, Lou, come pick me up in the car. And I'd be like, I I don't know how to start this.
1: Maybe that's why it's called the locomobile because it drove you crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That was a good one, Mark.
1: So, um, (laughs) see, that's the kind of cool stuff that you find out about here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, and on Lou's popular youtube channel my car story with lou we play the uh, guessing game on every episode of the car guys report and Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, it's another car brand gets shut down. We're talking about the Australian GM division called Holden. We'll reminisce about that. Plus, cars to obsess over in 2020. I'm sure we'll have some uh, issues with that list, but we'll talk about it nonetheless. Thanks so much for uh, listening to the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Certainly appreciate your support. And... um, Certainly, I would like to say special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, and that would be Radio Misfits. Com.
0: This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. Proceeding with a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of OPI Productions. Tony, can you shut up? This is Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. Is that a... On your mask. How does a cow make milk? Sex dolls in the stands. My brush with Barbara Billingsley from Leave It to Beaver. And our celebrity interview with Bo Thompson, who's collecting a million cub cards. That's Yay! Right Good for him. <laughs> Call that an unlimited tangents on this week's Minutemen. Tony Lasano podcast and Opie production on the Radio Misfits podcast network. RadioMisfits.com if you missed L- Los, An- L- los An-O or La- los Los anno and friends here's what you missed Etzilla the president is here the guy that's in charge of the whole network so we have to be good right yes yeah <laughs> And so far. So what's going on with the network? Anything exciting? We have a, a thousand shows. I mean, there's a lot of them. We have a lot of shows. Yeah. Name the worst show on the network. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> say it to his face. Just say it. Say it to his face. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. No, 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 I I, I would. I dare anyone to find a bad show. There, all... there is not a show on this network that yeah. I'm not, not proud of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Aww. Yeah. Uh, great Talk Radio is in Ted. It's just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Misfits.com. Radio Misfits. Get more. Lausano and friends. Losano. Now on Losano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lausano or whatever it's called. Coming
1: up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we talk about how a junkyard visit could save you some big bucks, plus a look back at Australia's recently departed Holden brand. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.